three, two, one. It's good to come in, like do the three, two, where we're in the middle of talking. You know, we don't need to quiet down and go, hello. Do you want to do the intro? Huh? You want to do the intro? That was my intro. Do the I just, intro. You just go, hello. I think Jeremy should do the intro. Just to throw people off. <laughs> to throw people off? Yeah, but like, yo, like, where's Lisa at? No, um, well, yeah, we're good at that. And this other guy. <laughs> and the other guy. Jeremy, Lisa, and the other guy. All right. See, are you inspired now? Do the intro. Spy, spy, <laughs> spy is like when you get the two-pack and there's also a putty. <laughs> I want the putty more than the Green Ranger, though. I love that putty. See, it's so you. You're embodying this. I guess so. Oh, Lord Jesus. All right. All right. That's the I... I don't know why we have to record a new one. <laughs> we'll just set it on this. <laughs> yes. But we'll, we'll, we'll pump you up and we'll let you be a swabby. That's good stuff. Oh, God. No, I want to be the buddy. <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. All right. In midstream, um, hi. If you're listening for the first time, I'm Lisa J. Hello. How you doing? And I'm Whoa, with Jeremy. I recognized and... your voice. <laughs> I'm with Jeremy. <laughs> yes, that's me. Yes. And, and Spy. Hi. Would you would you like to be known, Spy, or would you like your your identity to be revealed so that you can be known? <laughs> it probably doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. So we're gonna keep that Spy because you know we we need we need more spies in our world. Uh, Jack Curtis, there he is. Jack. So that's my dream. No. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, we just it's just a roaring start here because tonight is a is a very full. Filled, I was going to say chock full. Yeah, chock full night of news. And we have a special guest coming. That Ooh. other guy. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Idiots. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's get on to the news. Yeah, uh, since our last recording, yo, the the leaks. <laughs> the design leaks. Oh boy. That's I mean, it, Ranger leaks. I mean, shoot. That's my leaks. Like, so, okay, first off, in toy news, right? Lightning Collection, we getting a few more surprises. Uh, so we got a two-pack, Lox Galaxy, Red Ranger, and In Space Psycho, Psycho Red Ranger. And then, another leak, we were getting... Uh, uh, solo uh, in spice psycho blue ranger in spice yes in spice uh, like Hasbro is straight up like flexing on Bandai and I love it they're like oh oh you stopped and you were, you were doing psychos okay that's cool we'll just we'll just do it we'll we'll do it better that's that's fine we'll do that so I mean, I'm all about that. doing it better though I mean, I, it took us twenty years to get a red and a blue and now we're gonna get again I I'm just saying like in the same year. The one thing about uh, legacy figures from buying them all and opening them up and everything is that <laughs> they do not like to stand. They, they, they almost every one you buy is loose. The leg, uh, the legs feel a little loose. Yeah. Well, you remember when it's just because of that heat wave over there. I think people were talking about that after PMC, when they got their dragons, if they got yeah. their dragons, that, uh, <laughs> They were talking about how how most of them were people would be like, oh yeah, they're loose. I'm like, that's that's just a legacy figure. Like that's, that's how it is. is for, guys. 
Oh, oh man. <laughs> all I need is like 20 more thrones for all of my <laughs> legacy figures. <laughs> but yeah. Part. yeah, sure. Yeah, yes. Um, and I, I, the only thing I wish we had more was Lost Galaxy. Gonna need a tearaway shirt for Leo. Need the tearaway shirt. That's how he rolls. What? Oh, Lord. But yeah, no, like, I mean, and, and the head, it looks like, it looks like him. It you looks know, like a fancy head. lawyer. Looks, <laughs> looks like him and everything. So the, uh, the two pack, we don't know if it is an exclusive to one retailer and we don't know the release date yet. And the same thing with the Psycho Blue Ranger. We have no information about release date. nor It, it could just be part of wave three for all we know. It could be. I mean, it could be. But uh, but then, but here's the thing. I saw, I don't know if it was from Ranger Board, um, but someone was able to pre-order uh, Psycho, Psycho Blue and um, Black Ranger with S.H.I.E.L.D. Really? Oh, that's right. The Walgreens one. So, so if, if the Black Ranger is exclusive to Walgreens, yes? Yes. Then Psycho Blue also selling at Walgreens? Uh, could, I mean, they sell these figures in general, so... Right, that doesn't but we don't, it doesn't mean that it's just an exclusive, but It'll we know that either. you can get it from there, because... Well, Somebody. apparently, if you live in California, you can get Wave 2 right now. Just and, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. Like, the pretty last, much. like, three or four days has just been nonstop people posting. I went to Walgreens, and I found Magnet Defender or, or the uh, Beast Morphers ones. And they're like, where are you at? California, 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 yeah, California. Just picking up Pink Ranger, just picking her up. Just, yep, got her. I'm like, great. <laughs> Like, I went into my Walgreens because, like, where I live, there are literally five within a few minutes. And every single one looks like it's been hit by a tornado. Like, <laughs> like as if, like, they're getting ready to do a reset, maybe. Uh-huh. But there's, yeah, nothing. Nothing. Like, the Walgreens near me at my home sells no toys. They don't sell toys. How small is it? It's not small. Oh, that's weird then. So it's very annoying. And then the Walgreens in my job sells toys, but had no Power Rangers. Nothing. Zero. Nada. Yeah. Between all of my searches, all I found was a Trent and a uh, Cheddar Zeo Gold Ranger. That's it. Yeah. yeah. They're all so, gone. Um, so, yeah. Um, thanks. Or good to be in California to get all the toys early. Just gonna wait for Hasbro Pulse to. Why don't you just send them now? Just send mine out. Like, I mean, people got them in California already. Why don't you just? Well, I mean, yeah. some it's it's always random because like uh, I remember um here at My Meyer is a local uh store, kind of like a Walmart, and that's where people were finding like uh when all the when the Dino Thunder ones first came out, this was the only place that had them. And it was one of the first places to get the lightning collections. And I'm just like, okay, all right. You know, once in a while you get lucky. Midwest usually gets lucky. Not this time. Nope. Yo, East Coast, never. Never? Never. Never. You got to produce them. You got to have a factory over there or something. Like it doesn't, I mean, it's usually Midwest or California. Like it just, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you would think, I don't know, headquarters, Hasbro, you know what I'm saying? 
over in the east coast you know what i'm saying in asia that's where the ship is gonna go is los angeles yeah all you get ring yes in in the in europe (laughs) yeah all you get all you get on all you get on the east coast is your uh boom trade paperbacks first yes yeah the the, yeah the yeah pretty much pretty much like that's like philly right no new york New York? Oh, New York. Okay. Totally New York. <laughs> completely New York. So, see, so you got one thing. You got one thing. You could just walk down the street and be like, you know what? Why spend money on postage? Just, can you just hand it to me? Okay, thanks. There you go. You have one thing. Whoop de doo. Uh, in other news, okay, speaking of things dropping unexpectedly. So, we knew about, uh, well, Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid, the card, the tabletop card game. When we saw a picture on the back of another packaging of this Zio expansion. So we knew of one. We knew yeah. that this was a thing. However, comma, we did not know that at Gen Con, currently at the time of this recording, that Renegade Game Studios be dropping information about a phase two of, of their Kickstarter campaign. Now, their first Kickstarter campaign did very well. We, <laughs> if, if you guys did the all in, you know what I'm saying? Like the get get everything, uh, perk. Uh, you got a very large box, mm-hmm. <laughs> a large box full of all the things, right? So then, at Gen Con, they announced that in Phase Two, they're not just having one Zio expansion pack; they're having two. So one is the Core Five, and in the other, it's Gold Ranger. And Phase Two of the Kickstarter campaign will be. Uh, releasing uh, September, September yes. Um I hope they have uh, both a Jason and a Trey card because they do have uh, Rocky, Aisha, and Adam cards for the MMPRs mm. where they have okay. slightly different abilities. Right, right, right. I mean, I would, I would think so. I mean, just to have an expansion just for one character alone. You know, you know that they should do is they should throw some, uh, throw some alien rangers in there. You know. Yeah, they should. Throw me, throw me some aliens. That'd be nice. Do we know what's in there, or are we waiting for the Kickstarter announcement before we? Yeah, know? we don't know. I mean, obviously, the we've seen the sculpts of the Core Five Rangers, but other than that, nothing's really been shown. Yeah, they've been kind of mums the word, because we, I mean, we have reporters over there, i.e., <laughs> friends of ours who I just remembered who were going to the con, and was like, "Hey guys, <laughs> can you take some pictures? And you can you ask them questions?" So yes, so thank you, um, our our friend from back in the Dizzy, Terry Ann, hooked us up with some pictures. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and uh, and then Peter, another friend of ours, went to ask him some questions. But you know they they're very hush hush right now, very hush hush. Although, have you guys ever heard of Team Covenant? Does that mean about you guys? Just in relation to this game, how they were making like their own like little pieces for the game, like markers and stuff like that. So team covenant is, I guess a subscription based, uh, situation where huh, covenant is a premium online and local store, uh, with the best game subscription service in the industry. So you can keep playing effortlessly and people who were subscribing to them, for Heroes of the Grid, 
people were kind of freaking out, being like, wait, 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 there's another Kickstarter campaign? So does, are we going to get the stuff that is in the next Kickstarter campaign? Are we not? Like, what do we do? And so, like, people were just like, well, I might cancel my subscription because... And then do the Kickstarter, or I don't know, like, what do we do? And so the team comes like, hey, 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 you guys, hey, who, uh, uh, don't cancel anything. Okay, <laughs> just so wait there, you will get all the things. You know, I talked to, uh, it was like literally Scott from Renegade Game Studios. I talked to Scott, and we're going to work things out, so don't cancel. Just, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, and, and then, like, and then I didn't also, I also didn't realize that, the game pieces that they were like, like you could get Cyclops, you could get this, and blah, 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 blah. I didn't realize that they weren't painted. Yeah, that Lisa, was early. Lisa has literally never played a tabletop game before. No! <laughs> because that's, that's pretty basic information. Not at all! That's what turned me off from applying to that Kickstarter thing. I'm like, oh, because there was that beautiful, like, pudgy pig in the case. And I was like, oh, I love these. Don't you want to learn to paint? It would be nice. I didn't know that I, like, I had to paint. You know, there is a very nice uh, YouTube series about a novice learning how to paint figures, and it's Will Friedle. You could go watch that. That would be fun. Are you serious? Really? Yes. Ah. Will Friedle learns how to paint figures. Everybody likes him. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, you are. I heard people talking about like, oh man, uh, does that mean that people are going to be able to get all the stuff that we got because we initially backed it? Which, first of all, to me is like, why? You know, why do you care? It doesn't really affect doesn't your affect gaming you. experience. Yeah. But from what I've gathered, is that they are probably going to do that, but they're going to try to make them. Like some of the more rare, more exclusive ones that were part of the Kickstarter campaign, they're going to give different poses. So, like, you, you can get the same figures, but like, if you were an initial backer, you've got, you know, Green Ranger in this pose. So, uh, I, it's kind of like it's kind of like with the uh, with the Funko Pops, how they're like they re-released the red, white, and pink Ranger, but they weren't just standing there; they had to be in action poses because they don't like to re-release anything. Gotcha. Same same sort of idea. You can still get it. But it'll be a little bit different. But then, what if I want those poses too? Well, then you'll buy it a second time. <laughs> no, right. gotta go to eBay. Lisa's getting a second big box. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I thought that they would. I thought they would. Yes, you can do all in. But for you guys who didn't jump on it earlier, it's going to be more money for you. You know what I'm saying? So like. You know, you you get an like the people who jumped on early get an incentive of jumping on early. But now, like, you know, now we releasing this stuff. You know what I'm saying? This is in the masses and everything. Uh, you gotta pay a little extra for the all in. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's what I think that they should do. Cause I mean, I don't want to be like, well, I don't want to be. I don't say penalized, but yeah, I don't want to be penalized for. You know. Yeah. Um. That's why I think different poses is kind of the best of both worlds because you still can get everything. <laughs> or maybe you can you can purchase something separately where like you can get these poses or whatever. Well, and, and because add that in. yeah, because they explained when they initially put out the Kickstarter, they were like, 
the base game's going to be available anywhere. The Shattergrid expansion, you're going to be able to buy after the fact. They always said that. The only thing they ever said was 100% exclusive was the biggest box. You know, the one that has all the really cool artwork on it by itself. That is that is the specific Kickstarter box. I see. So, so you can't walk into the con and buy that. Well, of course. But everything else, yeah, I mean, because you have everything you need and then some is available, even if you didn't kickstart it. It's just yeah. you know we want bonus, bonus monsters. Yeah, well, and... I mean, listen, I'm 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 happy for them that they are confident enough to do another Kickstarter campaign, and they probably have the numbers to say like, yeah, we can like get a whole bunch of pre-orders up well, front, call it a day, see how it works, see how it see how viable it might be, you know. So. Well, I mean, remember when we were at PMC last year, like they launched this the day before day before PMC and we were just looking at our phones all the time and just every time you'd refresh, there'd be like 20,000 extra dollars added. And it's like, sheesh, you know, like this thing was insanely successful. And people in the tabletop card game uh, community, if you will, they're saying like, yo, this is actually a really good game. (laughs) Like, there you go. People are like actually like saying it's good. So I'm like, that's great. You know, we, we need that. See, Power Rangers is good at tabletop games and comics and maybe one of these days TV shows. You never know. <laughs> or feature films. Yep, they got that too. Good at that. <laughs> just just missing that one uh, that one element. Oh goodness, but you know what? But, but uh, going back to the to the comics, right? On the last show. Oh no. There was a little bit of a back and forth when we were talking about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers issue 41. There's a new character, right? The name is spelled K-I-Y-A. And we were going back and forth of how to pronounce it. Because there is a character with that same name in Ninja Storm and it was pronounced one way. You would assume that if it's spelled the exact same way, it might be pronounced the exact same way. However, comma, that person is not of Asian descent, so therefore, it is not... She could be space Asian, you don't know. Asian. Wow. She could be Asian. She's Asian, yeah. Mm. Yes. So, one would say, okay, that uh, this name would be said Kaya, right? Makes sense. She yes. looks female. Kaya would be something that would, that would come to mind. Is Kaya However, not female? Huh? Is Kia not female? It doesn't really seem like it's... However, comma... There you go. Okay. However, comma, Jeremiah was like, hey, I want to channel my inner Tommy and call her Hootsut. Kia, right? (laughs) Yes. She pronounces her name like she's Japanese, goes last name first. Even though she's obviously Jewish with the name Hootsut. Okay, so this is what going back and forth. I and at the end uh, on that episode, Brandon was uh, hosting with us, and so he initially first was saying the Kaya, uh, the Kia foolishness, and then and then came over to my side. So I took it to the Twitters, okay, took it to the Instagrams, okay, and you know some people said you know back and forth, you know a little bit of both. Both are believable, but uh, the writer. Of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the comic currently, Ryan Parrott, the writer, 
said that it's Kaya. So let's the record show. Okay. I got that time for Jeremiah's foolishness. Listen, listen. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, okay. This is just like the guy who invented the gift saying it's Jim. No! (laughs) Because he can say it's pronounced like the peanut butter all he wants. We know he's wrong. I mean, we, just, we know he's wrong, correct? He correct? is wrong. He Thank is you. wrong. However, comma, the thing is that this right here is correct. This Kaya. is another my adventure. Man, my back, Kaya, okay? This is, this is another adventure in the new ongoing series of How Has Ryan Parrott Bladed Me Today? <laughs> <laughs> First it was White Ranger Tommy. Now it's this. It's two strikes, Ryan. Two strikes. Oh, my goodness. So let the record show. Okay. So before we get to our special guest, I'm going to tell you about a little bit of something by Amazon. Okay. Listen, there have been so many <laughs> leaks <laughs> for these toys. Okay. So many leaks. So there are some toys that are an exclusive to one retailer, but for the most part, a lot of the lightning collection you can get right now on Amazon. Okay. So, if you go to nop.ink slash Amazon, you bookmark that, you rename it, you say support NPS. That means almost anything that you buy from Amazon, you get, we get a little something, something for you just doing what you normally do. So if you want to get some lightning in the collection, if you want to get some, ch- I always say this wrong. <laughs> Chogokins. Thank yeah. you. Oh, Chogokins. Okay, yep. <laughs> if you, it, it, for a lot of us, the summer is not taking its its foot off of our necks. Okay, we are in it. So if you need to replace that AC, if you need to get some fans, if you need to get some things for your household to keep yourself cool, if you just need your regular household items, if you need, you go on Amazon through this link, nop.ink slash Amazon, and help us do what we do. See, if we entertain you, if we give you a little levity, if we give you a little joy in your day, then help us buy, buying through Amazon through our affiliate link. Again, that is nop.ink slash Amazon. Yes, they have, they have like portable air conditioners. Have you ever had one of those? They're like 30 or 40 bucks. But you can like put some ice in the back and just just a small one you'll put it on your desk and it'll blast at you like it's a full-fledged air conditioner. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which is good because even though I'm in the Midwest, it's like 92 degrees today. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. What is this it's nonsense? Crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. At work, I don't have that problem because uh, it's always cold. And in, yeah. in, my, in my personal abode, I don't have that problem. But however, that is a very good idea. Thank you, Jeremiah. Okay. And by the way, these lightning collection figures, they have been cheap on Amazon recently. What? Yo, People... Shadow Ranger was like seven bucks. And right? that wasn't the first time. That wasn't the first time I saw it for seven bucks either. Like I, I saw it for seven bucks like yeah, I, two weeks ago or whatever. I, yeah. just, I just checked it now and it's like at 11, but that's still like. Ew! You can get Shadow Ranger right now for $11. Yeah, and, and like White Ranger time? was like 16 what? or something. Yes, go like, yeah, Most of them are under retail. Go go get them. Go get them through Amazon. What? Get it for a friend too, girl, bye. Mm-hmm. All right, let us get to what you guys have been waiting for because, quite frankly, it's in the name of the 
episode title. So, so we have, well, this man needs no introduction. How about that? How about that? We have Kyle Higgins with us on the show. Welcome, Kyle. How's it going, guys? Good doing day. well. We are doing well. We saw each other at San Diego Comic-Con. It was yes. my first con. Um, San Diego Comic-Con, not my first con ever. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so that was it was a lot. <laughs> it was, was a lot. Um, mm-hmm. How many how many Comic Cons or uh, San Diego Comic Cons has it been for you? Um, I've gone every year since I graduated from film school from college. So I think this was twelve in a row. Wow! Dang. Yeah, because I went the first year I went. <clears throat> um, so I graduated from Chapman in 2008 and I had directed this big um, superhero noir film and the there was an artist that I had hired to do character designs named Eric White and he was a he was from the world of animation his first job out of college was on Batman Beyond as a character designer and he has this kind of you know a little Bruce Tim little Darwin Cook kind of a 60s aesthetic that I thought for doing like silver age superheroes would be a nice fit. And he just really liked how the movie turned out. And he was like, do you, uh, do you have an agent? And I was like, I'm, I'm 20, I'm 23. I just turned 23 and I just graduated. Like the movie's not even done yet, you know? So no, I don't. (laughs) And he's like, well, he's like, I'd love to introduce you to mine. And also, are you going to San Diego? And I said, no, I, I mean, I'm close to there, but um, I've never been. I don't have badges. And he said, well, if you're all right posing as my uh, as my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this was back when San Diego, like, didn't check names on the badges. Oh. Um, you can come. So he gave me his wife's badge. And we and I, I, I was staying with at my cousin or my aunt's, like, rental place. She rented for my cousins and her, like, in Encinitas. And I drove each day to uh, the convention, and I had a backpack filled with DVDs of the movie. They were, and again, it was unfinished at that time. And Eric just introduced me to every person he knew and teed me up to, like, give them a copy of my movie. And from there, so that was my first San Diego. Every year after that, I went back. And there were like big milestones in my career because from that time, I think the next year I was in talks for an issue, doing an issue of Captain America, which did ultimately happen. But I also ran into um, Steve Wacker, who was the, uh, the Spider-Man group editor at the time at Marvel. And Steve and I got to chatting and, and he offered me an opportunity to pitch some like Spider-Man short stories and um they, it didn't end up working out but it was like you know a, a big kind of step forward this is because before the captain america thing got approved and then the next year is when i met mike martz uh well i actually had met him a few months earlier at c2e2 but we had breakfast again and he offered me you know an opportunity to do some work in the batman office so like each year was kind of a marginal gain you know in my career um and san diego's a really interesting convention in general because i mean a lot of conventions are like this but san diego definitely is like this nothing changes like the layout of everything every 
um, you know, the layout on the convention floor, like really? panel rooms. Yeah, the signage, like everything is exactly the same. Uh, hotels, you know, are the same, like where you go to hang out and where you go to, you know, grab drinks. And um, in the comics industry, anyway, everything's the same. So it's this weird little time warp for me, like every year I go because it all looks exactly the same. And I'm kind of the only one that's different, you know, it feels like. And so I, I was thinking about it on, on Saturday night. I was sitting in, in the Omni Hotel in the bar because I like to kind of hang out there. Um, and uh, just thinking, like, how many meetings I'd had in that exact bar um, mm. over the years and how many things in my career I can point to. Like, there's a, like, cowl got approved in that bar. Um, and and it's just things like that, you know. And it was just, I don't know, it's kind of a, kind of a, a fun, um, reflective con for me this year I, I was we i was reading up on you a little bit just a, just a smidge just a tad and <laughs> one of the interesting one of the interesting facts was that you you being a a sound editor a sound designer i mean can you talk a little bit about that um well it's something that i kind of have always done since high school when i grew up in illinois and i decided I mean, I've, I've been making movies since I was a kid, you know, with my dad's camera and making costumes for my sister and, and myself, you know, actually a Power Rangers, we made a Power Rangers movie too when, I'm, when we were like, she's three years younger than me, so I think it was like seven and seven and four or eight and five, somewhere in there. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it's, as I got older, um, I kind of went through a phase where I wasn't, um, I wasn't making stuff for a number of years. And then around like during my freshman year of high school, I, I kind of figured out like, Oh no, 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 this is, this is actually what I want to do. And, um, so as I got more serious about figuring out and learning, well, how do you edit? Like, what are these, how do these programs work and, and shooting stuff myself. And this was during an era when like, it was mini DV, you know, Dude. DV cameras and, oh my fire, gosh. and firewire cables and you firewire drives. Me, and, I'm going to pause you for one second. Y'all don't, like folks who are a little younger than us, because we're around the same age, right, folks? And we, you know, and you can Google how old Kyle is, not going to put him on blast, however, comma. Oh, I don't care. I just turned 34. And <laughs> okay. So... I turned 34 and I feel 60. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so the mini DV was the struggle you don't understand because that was like the last digital before like oh sd cards no i'm like oh okay okay you and your fancy hard drives and your sd cards mini dv and you're sitting there and you're waiting for stuff to import and god forbid if the firewire like input would like kank out and you get to start all over oh my god well it wasn't it, you were you actually weren't importing back then you were capturing oh yes and, yes sorry and actually capturing. now that now that i think about it i actually wasn't even mini dv i was i was just before that i was digital eight which was no. the size of a high eight yes. high eight tape um but same same principle and you're capturing um through firewire cable and it was all time code locked and so you were anyway this is getting too nitty-gritty but um i i had a a very good friend of mine who's kind of like the closest thing to an older brother I have. His name is Brad Bodie. And he is my, my childhood next door neighbor's uh, nephew. And he's like nine years older than me. 
And he had gone to film school at Columbia College in Chicago and then I think got a master's in computer science. And so he lived in Los Angeles and he worked in like the aerospace industry, um, but also was a screenwriter. And, you know, growing up in the Midwest, like, it's kind of drilled into you, like, well, you have, better have a backup, like, it's great to dream, but you better have a backup plan. So right. the plan became, when I was going to college, to, like, double major in computer science and, and cinema. And I went to the University of Iowa and I very quickly realized, A, I, this is not the right film program for me, and B, I really don't want a double major. Um, so I became, like, obsessed with getting out to Southern California because that's where I felt like I needed to be for the types of, of um, the type of career I wanted to have, types of movies I wanted to make. And my, during my freshman year at Iowa, because um, again, I realized that very quickly when I got there, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to transfer for at least a year. And it turned out I wasn't able to transfer for two years. So it became this like, this kind of game of like, okay, well, what can I do while I'm here to take advantage of my surroundings? And I'd had an English class there called Introduction to Rhetoric. It was like a prerequisite that all freshmen took, and I really dug it. And the guy who taught it was from Los Angeles, but he was in the grad program at Iowa in something called the Iowa Writers Workshop. And I didn't know what that was. I, I came to find out later, you know, it's like the most, it's the most prestigious writing program in the country. And wow. so I, I just decided like, well, I'll take some creative writing classes because this guy is talking about how cool the program that he's in is. And so that's what I did. And that kind of awoken, not awoken, but it, it showed me for the first time, like, oh, hey, no, I, I think I probably, like, I could, I could do this. Because I, I always wrote without realizing it. And it was mostly, I mean, to this day still, like, I write purely so I have material to direct. Like, I hate writing, but I love telling stories, right? Mm. So I was doing that. And then Brad got a hold of me and he wanted to make a short film. And I, you know, a new short film and I read the script and, um, and, you know, we talked story a lot and, and Brad was very, you know, supportive of, of me and, and what I was trying to do. And, and, um, as a part of his film, he was going to edit the movie and it was, he was going to shoot it on the X, the Canon XL one and that's a mini DV camera. <clears throat> and, um, I, he asked if I wanted to do the sound, like the post-production sound. And I said, sure. And, and, you know, I didn't know how to do that, but I said, okay, well, that's something, that's another skill set that I need to learn Learn Um, anyway. And yeah, (laughs) so I just learned, I did a lot of reading and was using Adobe Audition at the time and figured out how to do multi-track audio and bought books. It version like two or something. (laughs) It might've been version one. Yeah. I mean, this was 2000, this was 2003, Mm -hmm. 2003, 2004. And so I started doing that. And then ultimately when I transferred to Chapman university, they wouldn't let me into the film program. Um, But they asked if there was anything else I would want to go to Chapman for with kind of a little bit of a, you know, a nudge and a wink that, hey, once you're here, you can kind of figure out how to transfer internally, maybe. Right. And so I also had a background in graphic design or enough of a background, and enough samples, because again, it was like, well, I need to do this for my own project. So how do I figure out how to do this? And taking classes in high school and things like that. And I got very, very good in Photoshop. 
And so I said, well, I could do graphic design. And so I was like, a, I came in as like a graphic design major. And around that time, right before I moved to California to go to Chapman, I had studied or I, I had the idea and it was just something that kind of made me laugh about like a superhero labor union, just the idea <laughs> of what that would look like. And it was kind of a joke piece. And when I got to Chapman, I had to, in order to, so, so two things happened. I actually met a professor there who was, um, he taught sound editing, sound design uh, for the film school. And because I had a background in that, I gravitated towards him. And then there was kind of this little crew of us that would go out to dinner like every Thursday night. And I knew no one in California. Um, and, you know, I'd come in as a transfer student. And so that became this little kind of click that was great to be able to hang out with. And again, because of, I was interested in sound, I, you know, the professor and I really kind of hit it off. And so he really went to bat for me um, at, with the film program so that I could actually make the transfer internally into the film program. And as a part of that, I had to write a short story. And so I wrote the short story for um, what turned into my later, it was the impetus to, for my film, The League, which then turned into my comic book, Cowl, years later. Makes sense. So the sound, yeah, so the sound and the writing kind of went hand in hand. And then during that first year in the film program, um, I, you know, it became clear very quickly that there weren't a lot of people there interested in doing sound. So all of the big films each year, like the thesis films, it was always a struggle to get someone to do the sound. And for me, I, that meant I had my kind of choice of projects. So I got to kind of work on some bigger stuff as I figured out kind of some of the politics of the film school and some of the dynamics there and kind of clocking in my head at the time, like, okay, well, when I'm ready to make my thesis film, like it's go big or go home. And, um, so that, you know, it, it, it's, it, it has always been a skill set that weirdly, <clears throat> I, I've never really thought about it this way, but it's, it's a skill set that has always kind of aided or paralleled in my career. Because then after film school and after making the superhero movie, which I did all the sound on, um, my superhero movie, I mean, I was then, you know, the movie kind of was taking off. I was getting attention. Like I said, I was starting to pitch to Marvel. Um, but it blew up for me as a, as a filmmaker as well. And I signed at a big talent agency and management company. And um, I was up for some big movies and, and things like that. But I was like 23, you know, and the odds of landing a $90 million movie at 23 <laughs> are pretty slim. Right. So I was working part-time in a paint store and that just wasn't going to work for much longer. And so when I got out of that, I ended up getting introduced to uh, a gentleman named Lon Bender, who is an Academy Award winning sound editor, sound supervisor. Um, and he was one of the co-founders of Sound Deluxe, which was like the biggest independent sound studio in Hollywood. And I started working there for a division called the Hollywood Edge. And so at Hollywood Edge, they basically kind of appropriate sound effects and recordings from their private library into um, compendium sets that can be sold for post-production houses to then use. So I did everything from like uh, metadata entry on sound effects. Um, to, I did some of the prep to the sound files themselves, but then I also did all the artwork design for the cases and packaging. And... I got the job 
and like a week later, my first issue of Captain America came out. So as my writing career was starting to kind of take off, um, so was the sound career. And, and what I mean is that Lon kind of took a liking to me and, and I don't know, I guess figured I wasn't a complete idiot. And I started actually cutting on some movies under him. And so there was kind of this, yeah. So actually there's one of these movies I did, Barry Monday, um, is I have a credit on, which I didn't realize I had, uh, until recently on IMDb. It's with, uh, Patrick Wilson and and some others. So I, I did a lot of the effect. I did actually, maybe not all, but I did most of the effects editing in the first reel of the movie. And, um, so it was kind of laid out for me, like these kind of like parallel careers, right. And sound, you can make really good money and get in the union and work on some really cool films and projects, but always hard to find good. Like it's even like in the film industry, um, in theater, in like crap, even like just like live events. Like it's just, it's always hard to find good well, people. Yeah. And it's, like. it's something, it's something that I respect and I, I, I definitely care about. Um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I actually, when I got offered the new 52 books, I was writing a miniseries of Marvel called Supreme Power. I was offered Deathstroke for the new 52. And then I also got this book called Gates of Gotham. Actually, Gates of Gotham happened before Deathstroke, now that I think about it. But all of a sudden, I went from writing no books to three monthly books. And so I quit the sound career and then fell in and then just basically spent all these years writing comic books. And then in 2015, um, or late 2014, actually, <clears throat> I helped out one of my best friends, Brian Bucciolato, and I did all the posts on a short film he did called Sons of the Devil, which was tied to a comic book that he uh, made an image as well. Um, and I did, I didn't edit the film, but I assisted, edited, and then post-supervised, did all the color, um, some, of the, some of the like um, motion graphic comps, and then I did all the sound on it. And that was the first time I had touched anything sound related in years. And it really kind of invigorated me again to the point where a few months later, I decided I was going to go direct something new and prove to myself that, hey, this is what I, I still can do this. And it's what I want to do. Right. And so I got to make I made a new film called The Shadow Hours. And that film, in conjunction with Power Rangers, um, again, they kind of all kind of coincide, right? Like I ended up just voice directing. I wrote and then voice directed the battle for the grid game. And a lot of that came out of the fact that I have this sound editing background, that it's this kind of like weird thing that, you know, like um, you don't really think of when you, when you think of comic book writers. Right. Cause I was, I was wondering, I'm just like, Oh, great for him. How did, get this <laughs> I'm just like, I mean I know like the writing thing but I didn't know if you you actually like did any direction for the for the voiceovers or what have you I did um well for that yeah for for battle for the grid <clears throat> which I'm sure I'm, I know we're kind of jumping out of order here but that game you know I they approached me to to to, to script to write the the story mode which I did and it was fairly late in 
the process that uh, in the development that we they firmed up and approved um, voices for all the animatics. And because of the the process on it and just the natural kind of development of things like that, <clears throat> it became kind of crunch time. And I, I really wanted to do it. I really wanted, you know, to make sure we did these recordings right. And so I offered that. I said, well, I can, I can make sure they happen. And so I had run plenty of ADR sessions on my own projects over the years, um, again, as a sound editor. And because I also direct and, you know, my this feature that I'm going to do, my first feature was, was just announced to everyone, everything. Um, everyone felt very confident that, you know, I could, I could do this. And it was great. I mean, I, we did a session in LA and then I flew to Houston and did a session with JDF. And then I actually did some of the cutups in Pro Tools myself and coordinated getting them to um, the to properly kind of formatted as best I could um, to the sound editor who or sound designer, sound supervisor uh, at Enway, who was actually you know putting all the assets together and implementing them into the game. So it was a cool little it was it was a cool you know cool experience. I, it almost killed me. WonderCon this year, huh. I was I had I, that was my third convention in a row. And then my third convention in three weeks, and then I was on my way. I'd just flown in from Portland from a meeting at Image, a one-day meeting, and I was about to fly to Houston to the, do the JDF session and then do Power Morphicon. And I would, by the end of that Power Morphicon in Houston, I had done seven cities in four weeks. Wow. So it was, it, was, it was pretty gnarly for a bit. But... You know, it all worked out, and, and, you know, I think the stuff turned out really cool. So. Well, you know what? This makes sense. You know why? Because uh, I was also at WonderCon this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. We, taught, we saw each other down there, didn't we? Because um, you came over to Marguerite's table. I did, and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Boy, you looked like you had a lot on your mind. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, a- WonderCon, <laughs> WonderCon was, a, was, a, was a tricky show. Um, there was some, there were some politics going on as well, just work-wise, um, at that time. So conventions are always a kind of tough, a tough spot. So, uh, you know, I apologize if I, if I was rude at all, but yeah, sometimes I don't compartmentalize very well. If, if something negative is going on, I, I it tends to kind of dominate my thoughts. Cause here's the thing, right? So like I was with, um, I was with Seamus, right? And we were over talking to Marguerite. And I was just like, all right, here, all right, all right, here, here we go, here we go. I, I, know, what, I know what's going to get Kyle's attention, right? He just right there. I'm mm-hmm. going to play this little joke. So then I was, I was saying, you know, talking about uh, Beyond the Grid and, you know, mm-hmm. the Solar Ranger and whatever. And you're doing such a great job at Solar Ranger, whatever. You know, and I was just like, oh, and like, it's the best new character that we've had. That Lord Draken guy. That was nothing. Boo! <laughs> and, then, and then literally you just like walked away i'm like, I'm like oh no oh so i don't even remember no. that <laughs> so i'm just like okay you had a lot on your mind it's fine it's fine <laughs> it happens to the best of us yeah um but let's let's double back a little bit because we have there's a lot we have a lot of questions child because you know kyle higgins this is the first time you're on this show mm-hmm. and so i got a lot of questions for you sure so questions. and feel free my co-hosts if i forget anything 
Please. Of course. Pop on in. Okay. So I I love this I love the you know, kind of like the the backstory of like how you you jump from you doing your sound design, your sound editing, and just full fledged writing, you know, because you got all these opportunities popping up for you. So, you know, like people aspire to write one book. Mm-hmm. So, how, how do you write three? How do you write multiple at the same time and kind of keep your head on your shoulders? Well, I'm still trying to figure that one out, actually, because um, huh. I'm not nearly as fast as most comic writers that I know are. Um, I, at, at the most I, I ever did was like five books at a time, five books a month, I mean. And I, I just, I'm just not that guy. So, so much of my process is um, anxiety based. <laughs> so, so it's a little tough. Um, my brain doesn't really do well. It doesn't like, like daydream about story it it daydreams about it and i wouldn't call it daydreaming it fixes it fixates on the fact that i have to come up with a story but it doesn't actually like come up with the story so i have to either be talking out loud about it with someone or working in a notebook longhand or, or typing um and there's a little bit of an ocd process that that kind of stirs up which is not pleasant at all um but that makes the lead up to actually writing really challenging for me because I know it's going to be painful from an anxiety standpoint. It's like, oh, f- like, all right, let's 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 go there. Let's do it. Right. <laughs> so that that doesn't really it's just not conducive to doing a lot of high stress, you know, writing in short periods of time with tight deadlines. And yet the stuff I do, I'm doing more recently on on kind of the screenwriting side is the exact opposite, where all of a sudden the fact that I can do as much as I can do actually makes me really fast. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, but in comparison, is, yes, in right. comparison, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of feature writers who don't understand how I juggle the number of gigs that I do juggle as a writer. And it's just, I don't know, something, something kind of flipped for me at a certain point in that you just, you just, you do what you have to do. Like there's more, <laughs> like you can't ask for more time. I mean, you right. can do an extent, but like there is still a, a, a ship day and, you know, a release date and you're the front of the production line. So everything comes after you. After you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all a process. It's all, I mean, it's all like, you know, like, like, like once you start writing and kind of getting the flow of timelines, mm-hmm. deadlines, like, you know, where your buffer is and you know, where you're like, holy crap, I need to turn. This well, in. I tend to, yeah. I mean, I tend to, I mean, I, <laughs> it's a cliche for a reason, but a lot of times like, you know, procrastination is definitely a, a part of the, the process. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what I have found, um, first of all, I, I've, I've tried to stop saying, I got this from um, uh, John August and Craig Mason do an awesome podcast called Script Notes that I love. And I, John has said this over the years, and, and I tried to kind of, you know, t- I've tried to live to this a little bit in that, like, he, he's 
stopped saying he has bad habits and he now says he has habits <laughs> and it's kind of a, you know, accepting at a certain point, like you're not going to change your process drastically, yeah. you know? And so for me, I, I know I, I prefer writing really early in the morning. And mm-hmm. sometimes that means, um, you know, if something's due on one day, I, I, it'll end up being in, in the morning the next day because I'll wake up at 5 a.m. and finish. And that's just a thing. And, and my editors know that. Um, or we talk about that. It, it's just, it's just something. It's just, it's a, just a quirk of my kind of makeup, you know. Um, but yeah, sorry. What was the, what was the question? I, I feel like I got off topic here. No, this is a conversation. We, 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 we talk, we get off topic and get on topic all the time. I, my thing is, is that I know that um, in terms of reading about your start and how you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you getting all these opportunities. And, you know, people are always wondering, I mean, like getting a writing gig is hard, but then it seems as if getting a comic writing gig is harder in a sense, you know? So uh, I guess, I guess talk a little bit about like, uh, all right, what's the probability that Joe Schmo is, you know, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, everyone's path is different. Um it, it it comes down, I, th- I think, because there's two questions kind of there, um, and and one is how do you make comics, and one and the other is how do you make work for higher comics, and they're and they're two different kind of questions and problems. If you want to make comics, you you just have to make comics, mm-hmm. and putting stuff out into the world. It, the good news is that in in 2019, there's no such thing as undiscovered genius, right? Like. The world is too much of an interconnected place, and um, you, if you want to make cool stuff, you can and get it out there, and it will get seen. And if you're trying to get work-for-hire gigs, like you're not going to get a work-for-hire job unless you've been published or unless you've kind of had success or proven yourself in another uh, medium. And... So, and, and when I say publish, that can also mean self-publish, self-publish right? Okay. You, can, you can self-publish, you can put stuff online, you can, um, you know, it, it, there's so many, it, it, you just have to make the work. Um, I was a little bit of a rare instance in that my film was 30 minutes long and Eric had sent a link when it was done to everyone he knew in film and TV saying, hey, here's this movie. Um, and you know, I did the character designs for it and I just think it turned out great. And if you like it, you know, here's Kyle's email address and Joe Casada watched it, editor in chief of Marvel. Oh wow. And we oh, started man. going back and forth and then I pitched for a year, right? Like I pitched over 20 stories mm. blind before, I mean, fully like, well, very, actually it wasn't, it was an assortment of full outlines for entire stories to just blurbs, just trying to get something right. And before I ultimately got stumbled on and got this issue of Captain America. Um, There's definitely a networking component to it as well. Um, But the thing is like no one, especially no one wants to feel like they're being sold to, you know? So it's this kind of delicate art of being in places where there are editors and publishers and, 
having conversations without being pushy. Cause, cause comics are, especially work for hire comics. Like they're not fun. A lot of the time, like they're hard and there's politics and there's notes. And if you're going to be a creative that an editor is going to hire, they want to work with people that they like and people that they want to work with. Right. Cause in the foxhole, it's going to get dark. Right. Like Daphna Plebin and I used to talk about this all the time. Like we were, we were really, really good friends. Like we could talk about anything when we were doing power Rangers in that, like, there's no way we would have been able to have the success on the book that we had and do the things that we did if we weren't able to be honest and have very frank conversations. And like, there are notes, she gets notes. We, we all get notes from, in, in the case of Power Rangers, you know, Hasbro and before that, Saban. So it's about figuring out like, all right, what are they actually, what is the actual note here? What's the problem and how do we figure out a way to address it and where, you know, some, some writers don't take notes that well. And, and I've definitely had my share, especially early in my career of, of bucking at certain notes, right. And trying to, you know, stand your ground and things like that. And there's a place for that, but more often it, it's, it's way more conducive to not only the, the creative experience, but the working experience to problem solve and figure out, you know, solutions together with an editor. And so it's, it's, there, there's a personal relationship there that, and just a personality um, aspect that definitely comes into play when it comes to trying to get work in comics, I've found anyway. And I do have to say that in terms of Power Rangers, uh, there was a point where the franchise was on its last legs, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the franchise was considered dead, okay? And and then Saban buying it back was the start of it being um, invigorated at one point. Um, then, and then I guess another pivotal point uh, were the comics and uh, MMPR in particular. And so I'm just going to say that thank you and I thank and everybody who worked on the book for giving us life. <laughs> okay, because let me tell you something. Like there are people who, you know, were looking at Power Rangers like, oh, whatever that kids show, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But them just like, nah. But you got to read these comics though. And people are, people are, if they weren't uh, knee deep in the franchise, they knee deep now. So, so I just wanted to say that. However, comma. These notes you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. What were some of these notes that you would get from either editors at Boom or Saban or Hasbro? Like, what were some of the things that uh, you would get? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Uh, that's a tricky question, too, because, I mean, technically the statute of limitations is probably up because uh, <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, like what's one that you were just like, I don't even understand why they're even asking me this, you know, well, or just, just, <laughs> all right, I'll get, I'll, 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 I'll give, I'll give you one. Cause, cause I don't think, cause I don't like to, I don't like to talk too out of school with that stuff either. Cause, cause ultimately it does come down to like, everyone's coming at this, just trying to make the best product possible. Of right. Course. Um, and there are genuine concerns 
from a licensor about how their characters are being depicted and being explored. And, and look, there's no way we could have done something like Shattered Grid without two years of track record first, right? Mm -hmm. That's the mm -hmm. thing that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to working on um, licensed characters. And by the way, licensed characters, that I mean, that really does include Marvel and DC characters too, right? They're not yours. Right. So like coming in and going like, all right, my pitch for the Fantastic Four what if Sue and Reed get divorced and we break up the first family? And so a, a lot of people will kind of immediately go to like, let's do something radical. And, and it's in, and the people who actually live with these characters day in and day out. And the, these, in the case, you know, these brands essentially they're looking at like, get bent, you know, like who are you to come in <laughs> right. here and try to do this? Right. Like it, it just kind of, it, it can come off disrespectful, right? right. So having said all that, <laughs> there, there, there are often notes that like, especially early on in the process, like on, on the book where it was like, what? I, I just don't understand. And there was one, <laughs> I've never told, I, I don't think I, I've never told the story publicly, but it was the first issue was about to go to the printer, issue zero. And there's a moment where um, there's a there's a moment where the Rangers all meet in the parking lot outside their high school, which used to happen at my high school all the time. Like we would drive, or you get rides with people, and then their you know cars and everything would kind of um, congregate in this parking lot, and people kind of walk in, and there was clicks and things like that that you're navigating, just getting from the parking lot into the school, right? And so I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Like, that feels authentic to me. I don't know if that's, I imagine not that much has changed in, you know, 20 years or however long it's been since I was in high school, uh, 15 years. But um, I was like, okay, well, there's, that's, I'll, I'll set something here. And so I, I'll introduce her Rangers this way in the parking lot. And uh, Trini comes up and she goes, hey, Jason. And he goes, hey, Trini, uh, good weekend, something like that, right? And she goes, yeah, I mean, you realize our test is today? Oh, no. Okay. So the original line was, uh, hey, Trini, happy Monday. And she goes, yeah, right. You realize uh, our test is today or something like that. And the book was about to go to the printer, meaning we'd gone through notes. I'd done rewrites on it, did a lettering pass. We did notes on that. And this was literally the day the book, the book was going to the printer like that day. It was like, you know, 4 p.m. or something. And I got an email from Daphna. He's like, hey, Kyle, just a, a, some last minute tweaks, just as it's going to the printer. And there were like a list of notes. <laughs> and it's like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, all right, well, it's, it's fine, whatever. Like moving commas around or like adjusting words, things like that. And I was like, okay. Like, I'm not going to die in any of these hills, you know? Right. And then there was a note Jason's not allowed to say happy Monday. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and I'm looking at it. And I'm looking at it, and I, and, I, and I had spent years at D.C., right, working in very tense situations, right? The New 52, there was a lot of pressure at all times because it was the relaunch of an yeah, entire line, you know, 75 mm -hmm. years of continuity, yeah. And so I'm looking at that, and I just, like, having been through these types of experiences before, I, I started laughing because I'm like, I don't know what that note is, but someone chose to die on that. There's a fight there. 
behind the scenes. Like that's a thing. It's got to be. Like who? What? I was like, I, what is that? I don't know. Is it? Is he? A, is it a Garfield thing? Like does he not like Monday? So what? <laughs> what? Is, I don't actually know what the note is. You know. And so we changed it to. Um, we changed hey, it to. Hey, uh, good weekend. Good weekend. Yeah. And and I was like, is this like? Does this work? And they're like, yeah, this is great. This is great. And it was, it was only, it was like months later, I saw someone and I was like, Hey, I just got to ask, like, what was the happy Monday thing? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, they, they like high school. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And they're like, well, happy Monday. Like he's being sarcastic. Like, Oh, can you believe we're here? Happy Monday. Like, we don't want to be here. Uh... I was like, Oh, I was like, well, that's not what the intention was. I mean, it was happy Monday. No more. Like anyone says it like, you know, start of the week. Okay. But I guess I understand that it plays like they can't like school. So I got it. I ultimately understood it down the line, like where it was coming from. I still think happy Monday was a good, was a funny line, but, um, but yeah, so, so, so that was, that was one again, early on that, um, and everyone's still feeling each other out, you know, and, and figuring out like, well, what's how involved is everyone going to be? And, you know, this was the first time Saban had ever really made comic books. So you're dealing with you're dealing with people well, over I there mean, who I love. Real comic book. Like, not the- <laughs> Those are <laughs> yeah. your words. I'm not I have no judgment. Uh, <laughs> oh, we got. But, uh, <laughs> but what I what I mean is that they're coming from a TV background. Right. And you give notes in TV. Gotcha potentially differently than you do in comics. And, and the thing is in comics, you don't get paid for, for rewrites. That's not a thing in TV you do. So it's, it was a little bit of a, you know, there's a little bit of a learning experience or learning curve there to figure out like, you know, every time you as a creator have to go back in, like that's time for you. That's, it may seem small, but like tweaks and rewrites and things like that, they add up. And, um, and you don't get paid for any of that. That's just the comics industry, you know? So, um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, like I said, it was, uh, it was a feeling out process and, and, uh, there was, by the time we got to doing Shattered Grid, there was so much trust built up amongst all of us and, and open lines of communication on everything that again, there's no way I would have been able to do the things that I did in Shattered Grid had we not built a really great working relationship over a few years, really. And I say that having tried to do it when I was at DC, like every time I, I, I had an arc on, on Nightwing, something would happen. There'd be some, there'd be blow up notes that like, you know, have to change the whole back half of the arc or there'd be, you know, every time I thought, I said, man, it's, we're finally getting off the ground. We've, I've got something really cool here. Just a really awesome direction. It just wouldn't, you know, but my time on Nightwing is like very much a, like for me, it's a, it's a, it's a little frustrating because it's like, it's very much a, what could have been, um, it, like every story arc is a like, oh man, kind of a, what could have been for me, but it was a great learning experience. Right. And it prepared me for, there's no way I'd be able to do Power Rangers had I not done all the, the work at DC that I did. And I say that not with any, you know, disparity towards DC or, or anyone there, that's just again. It was just a. It was a very pressure-filled era to be, um, to be, uh, really starting your career in. And I know that with the comics itself. I mean, there's so many. There's so many things that we don't know personally. Like, okay, well, you know, you're the main writer, and like, mm-hmm. how much, how much of 
ideas as terms to arcs and and character development and that sort of thing are are your ideas that you're bringing into it and then how much is it that like okay well we'll take some ideas from boom or take some ideas for Zaban like how, like give us like a little idea because honestly shattered grid Jesus Lord I'm, I'm just like where, where, where your brain <laughs> came up with all this <laughs> well um <clears throat> yeah that's that's tough I mean everything originated from us um as far as like the direction for the series well i guess let me let me start at the beginning my pitch for the book because this might okay this is this is a good example i i get asked a lot at conventions like where did the idea come from for lord draken right and normally those are actually really tough questions to answer anytime you ask a writer like where where did the idea come from you're like i I don't know it could have been something i ate that night it could have been you know a dream like it could have been what something i was reading and then you you just not related to the property or to whatever you're working on at all it could be like a sports game you're watching a commentator says something and it kind of sits in your subconscious sits in the back of your mind and you kind of pull from different places and you don't you know i don't know why i was thinking more about this particular topic at this point in time as i was building out a story for this thing over here but then this kind of weirdly kind of influenced it right that's just kind of the process. Like as writers, I feel like so much of what we are hired for and what our commodity is, is actually being a filter. Like we are very much a, a filter, um, through which you, if like, say it's an established IP, like I am the filter that mighty Morphin power rangers passed through to get the version of the comics we got. Right. And, and, and my collaborators are a part of that filter as well. My artists, uh, collaborators, definitely, you know, editorial tastes, things like that. Right. So I, I try to answer the Draken question as best I can. And it really just requires me to kind of start at the beginning, because I think this gives a pretty good ex- example of how I tend to build stories. So when I got the job, I got the job because of a pitch document that I had wrote out. And my thing about the book was I didn't want to tell, I didn't want to set a book in the nineties. I wanted to do something modern day and updated something that took place in the year 2016 for mighty Morphin. And I wanted to take full advantage of the medium and the format and the, the, the fact that we really, you know, you don't have a budget in comics. And so there are things that they just couldn't do in the show because of, budget limitations, you know, um, pre-existing footage limitations. Like if I want to set dialogue scenes, if I, if I need to do dialogue work, I try to set them in interesting environments. Again, that's some of my DC training, right? I used to have to write scenes with Dick Grayson talking to people at the circus. And my editor was like, you know, it's a lot of standing around talking. Like, I was like, okay, like, can the, what if the clown's juggling while they're talking? Oh, well, that's at least visually more interesting. Okay. You know, so it's, it's that kind of like, you know, that's in the back of your mind. Like you want to make sure the, the visuals and the reading experience are, are engaging, right? You're not just doing shot reaction shots, stuff like that. So doing, being able to do stuff like Billy and Trini dialogue scenes in, you know, the dragons or the cockpit of the dragons, or we've never seen that before, you know, but it, it immediately feels more visually dynamic and interesting and taking more kind of advantage of the concept of power rangers right so i used examples like that for kind of the tone of the series 
But as far as the narrative approach, I knew I didn't want to tell new origins because again, I've done this long enough where I go, that is a slip. Like that's a, <laughs> that's a dangerous uh, rabbit hole to fall down because if I'm reinventing origins, I can only imagine what the notes will be like. It doesn't matter what property it is, right? Cause now you're telling foundational stories. So I went, I don't want to do that. And also I'm tired of origin stories, right? So how am I going to come into this series? And I was like kind of looking at some old episodes and, and, um, you know, I watched it as a kid, but I haven't watched it since aside from maybe a few random late nights in college of like, whatever happened to so-and-so <laughs> and you end up down a Wikipedia and YouTube black hole, you know? Um, and I, I'm watching, uh, green with evil because it was so, it had such an impact on me as a kid. And then I watch how it ends and then I start the next episode and suddenly I realized the next episode, he's just like a regular member of the team. And I was like, whoa, I was like, wait a second. Oh, hold on. What in the, is this? And, and mm -hmm. that's when everything on it, like unlocked for me all at once. And mm. as soon as I find kind of like the right way in, like the hook, I go, oh, that's a story engine. There's, that's a story generator right there. I, I know how to milk that. I know how to work that across multiple books, multiple, you know, or multiple storylines, et cetera. Like Ryan and I, well, I, Ryan has, has, has spoken about this, but we kind of had the same thing when he was starting GoGo and we were, we were, I remember we were walking through the neighborhood and we were talking and, and, uh, the thing that people, sorry, I know I'm all over the place, but I promise this, this all loops back. No, no, it's fine. The, the thing, ahead, the thing that, the thing that people don't really understand about writers is that like ideas are easy. Like we're not precious about them and we help each other out all the time. Ryan helped me for years when I was writing at DC he would he would help me on stuff we would throw ideas around all the, all the time if i was stuck i could call him he'd pitch stuff out um same thing with him like anytime he has something he calls me we talk through it we throw stuff around and so we're walking through my neighborhood and he's talking about because he got the go-go assignment again this is you know a couple of years after i started the book the, the mighty morphin book and it was just a coincidence that daphna met Ryan and hired him. I got Ryan his first job in comics. He, he co-wrote the last three issues of Gates of Gotham with me back in 2011. Okay. And then he was JJ Abrams assistant. So he, they all of a sudden went, Whoa, you're writing Batman. Like, do you, do you want to write some Star Trek comics for us? And he's like, do I? And <laughs> Daphna is spoiler alert, the biggest Star Trek fan on the face of the planet. And they ended up on a panel together and then they started talking and hit it off. And then she hired him for the power Rangers aftershock, uh, OGN. And I remember at San Diego when you're, again, one of the places that you always end up, we, she and I were walking to, and she's like, I have this meeting with this writer. I was like, who? I, I bet I know him. She's like, you don't know everyone, Kyle. And, and she's, <laughs> I was like, who? She's like, Ryan Parrott. I was like, that's like my best friend. She's like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> I was like, he's amazing. He's, he's, are you kidding me? Like, he's, he yes, yes, yes. She's like, I know he's my find. I was like, fine, you can take credit. So when he ultimately got the go-go book, we're talking and we're walking and we're, and how it's going to work. And. And, and I, and I threw out this idea. I was like, you should give Kim a boyfriend. And he's like, what? And I was like, it's, it's someone that we know as fans that he's not in the show. So the question becomes, why not? And then he iterated on top of that, that the, the character ultimately became Matt was actually how Kim came into the group. Cause he was friends with everyone and she was the outsider. And that became, that's a story engine, right? And there's, there's a hook there. 
And again, that's not to say like, I want to be careful in how I frame this. Like I, I'm not trying to reduce a character down to their relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in the case of Kim, I'm just saying like, that's a hook. That's, that's a detail that's different from what you know. And it naturally creates questions about how could what I know happen when this was the setup and it's a reason to keep reading and it becomes an emotional kind of tether that brings you into the book and, and, and right. And you can build on. So with, when I was doing the pitch for mighty Morphin, that be, that was my tether, the tether being Tommy joins the team, it would not be the smooth. And if Power Rangers is about the strength of friendship and teamwork, we're better together, right? Let's explore that through the lens of a new member joining the team and do it in a little bit more of a real world way, right? And at the time, I used the comp that every LeBron James basketball team of the previous five years always looks amazing on paper like a super team, and it takes them half a season to figure out how to play together. So what would that look like for Power Rangers? Not only how does the team react to him joining them, right? But how does he react to moving forward past the things that he did while under mind control, Tommy this is, and the, the idea of now I'm a Power Ranger, why? Just because I was given power, I, don't, I haven't trained, I, I don't, I'm raw at this, right? And so it was about, he became the lens through which we would come into the series and exploring his kind of trauma and PTSD and issues of self-doubt became our way to learn about the world. And what that meant was that for the end of the first year, I wanted to tell, it, basically I, it, it needed to end, the first year needed to end, and it, and it went a little long, but it needed to end with him kind of overcoming his greatest fear, right? Like it's a, it's a cautionary tale that he needs to, he, to overcome. And so the best dark mirror cautionary tale was, well, what if he had not turned good, right? So in overcoming that, he feels more secure in his place and his role and that, hey, I can do this and I can make amends for the things that I did while under Rita's control. So at the time, that meant, and, and that, that came also out of one of the early conversations I had with, with Bryce Carlson where he was like, the really cool thing is Saban says we can do alternate timelines and things like that. And Bryce also said, and you know, if we go long enough, year three is actually the 25th anniversary of the TV show. So that was all kind of percolating in the back of my mind. And I was kind of starting to think in terms of structure shape, or I'm sorry, that's, that's redundant. I'm <laughs> starting to think <laughs> in terms of a narrative shape of like, all right, how would this play out over three years? Say year one is, Tommy joining the team year two is the build to an event year three is the event. Okay. Well, I can kind of see that. Well, then it became, as I was putting together that initial document, who's the villain in the first arc. And I want it to be a Zord. It would turn out to be a twist that it's a Zord from another dimension. And then within the first couple issues of writing, I knew the Zord. I had the idea of what if it was a Zord for, an evil version of the white ranger because again that kind of reveal would be wow that's holy cow what does that mean a you're you're doing an evil white ranger b is this an alternate dimension is it the future you don't know right and c i also knew this is my this is my third arc this is my you know end of the year story this is the cautionary tale he gets to overcome right and as we got closer um 
Saban actually had the note, hey, rather than it just being an evil version of White Ranger, can you make it more ownable? Like, can you make an original character? And so I remember I was in Paris because my life had like fallen apart. And so I did the cliched American thing and just like fled to Europe and lived there for like five weeks by myself, like on the road and stuff. I'm sorry. Why did your life fall apart? Oh, uh, it's, it's, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, no, it was a, it was a, someone I thought I was going to spend many years with, uh, she changed her mind and, oh, no. uh, oh. I had moved, I had moved in and it was her place and she changed her mind. So I had to leave. Um, yeah. So it was like, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to get out of Dodge. And I remember sitting in this little cafe in Paris and I had had to describe, all right, here's a prospective backstory for this, this older evil alternate timeline version of Tommy and take, and basically it was everything that you saw then in issue. I don't remember what issue we did. We showed his backstory in 11, 12. And, um, then we started trying to figure out what the design would look like. And Jamal Campbell designed beautifully Draken. And again, it was about the idea of like trying to um, put the white light and the green powers um, kind of in conflict with each other, but without losing the distinguished kind of, or distinguishable iconography of, Hey, he's still a power ranger and we don't want this to get too muddy and messy. And then, um, and then I named him, um, Jamal went through a lot of iterations of notes on the design and, and Saban was very involved in giving notes on that stuff. But for the name, I knew it, I wanted it to be a Lord. And then I, I was just trying to figure out like, you know, Draco Malfoy was like coming to mind and Dragon and Draco and then, oh, well, Draken And so Draken comes from it's it's draconian but also it kind of feels like dragon and it just kind of felt like it worked for me you know um and then we added we added the two k's um because the the visual of a name is really important to me in comics like even just a standard name you know like sean i spell s-h-a-w-n or jenny with with an i you know something anything that makes it look because it's, it's a medium where you don't have actor performances, right? You just have text and word balloons. So anything to make something stand out and look unique um, it applies to names, too, for me. It's a big thing for, for my work. And so the Draken, I was like, oh, I like how that looks, you know, when you see it in word balloons and things like that. So that became, okay, that's how you build the first year. And then from there, it's like... We knew we wanted to bring elements from that alternate timeline back in to our world. So that became Saba. Um, and then you start building out the threads from there. Um, I wanted to do more of a Jason story in year two and really look at kind of um, the perils of leadership. And to parallel that, that became the Grace Sterling character. Um, it was actually Daphna and um, uh, Alex Gaylor and Matt Levine who were the associate and assistant editors on the book at the time, who they all were jamming together and suddenly stumbled on this idea like, well, what we've been to the moon before. And that came out of Ryan's pitch for his first issue of GoGo, which was, well, what happened to those astronauts on the moon? And then that got them internally at Boom going like, oh, yeah. Well, also, we've been to the moon in 1969. And they pitched that to me. And I went, oh, that's a great idea. 
Mm. And so then I built, I kind of restructured and that became Grace Sterling's character. And, and then I was like, I know exactly how to use that. And we, again, that became the narrative and, and how we, we built her and, and everything leading into what became Shattered Grid. And Shattered Grid then came out of the fact that I knew we needed to do an event. And there are only so many ingredients that will make up an event, right? So there are only so many ingredients that will give you scope and give you stakes and things of the scale that they need to be at for 25 years of Power Rangers. And so it just became a process of figuring out. I knew Draken was going to be the villain for it. And what was interesting was like when the character came out, um, there was a lot of talk about him. And I found it fascinating because I hadn't done anything with him yet, right? He just looked like an older alternate timeline version of Tommy. I knew, and no one else knew, that he was the only Tommy in all of the multiverse to never turn good. And it drove him crazy. Uh, or not crazy, but it, like it gave him an inferiority complex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that really interesting. And that's where kind of everything then stemmed from there. So I don't know if that answers the question as far as <laughs> what came from where and who, but um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much, it was generated for me. And then behind the scenes, um, you know, Matt and Michael are, are very good friends of mine now, the Ranger Danger guys. And they were a springboard that I bounced stuff off of as well. And they kept me sane uh, through a lot of it. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, because I don't know, I don't know a lot of the continuity and things like that. And Michael knows all of that, you know. So, um, it, yeah, it, it really was, it was just kind of this really cool, magical kind of era where it was a lot of work. It was, it was an epic amount of work and outlines and spreadsheets and rewrites. Yes. And, Let me, yo, yeah. like, I, 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 it was a, I think it was a Hasbro panel. Uh, at, yeah, at, at San Diego, and they were, t- you know, they were announcing their new toys and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and they were just like, well, you know, you must be wondering, like, how we come up with what should come up with where, and we have this spreadsheet. We're like, we want to see the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I shared the spreadsheet with Marguerite um, when she came on to Beyond the Grid. I knew I was leaving, and I knew, I knew it was time. I was exhausted. It was getting harder and harder. Like, it was just like, I was really run down and we were, every issue was running hot because we were just all burnt out. And so it became like, you know what? This is, this three years is a good run. Now's the time I'm going to step away. And they wanted to bring Marguerite in. And and I teed up like, you know, I, I, I kind of said like, well, there is this version, Marguerite, if you're interested, like, from a concept standpoint, like I've got all these characters, here's a spreadsheet of where everyone is. There's a version where you're basically doing Battlestar Galactica for Power Rangers, right? Like it's all of these Rangers trying to find their way home, you know? And um, I said, I can tee you up, you know, whatever you want. And so we had phone calls and kind of handoff conversations and, and then, you know, she built beyond the grid uh, beautifully out of that. So, um, but the spreadsheet was tracking, like, here's every Ranger, ever and um here's where they are in the event here's who's dead here's whose whose powers draken stole to create centuries out of here's whose powers draken stole to take to imbue himself with um you know it's pretty it was pretty involved um so 
I mean, you know, anytime you want to like just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you have the story. I mean, it's all in the story. You you mentioned that you left. You kind of felt like you know you were like a little bit burnt out. You were like it was time to leave. But like, is there anything that will make you you know come on back? You know, just just bring you back into the fold. You know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's tough. Um, yeah, I mean, like I left. Like I said, I left the book. I felt like it's better to leave on top than to stay too long. You know, I, I watch, I've stayed too long on books before and I've also seen creators do that a lot. And so I felt like, you know what, I'm tired. I told my stories. It's time to pass the torch, let new creators come in. So I wouldn't come back to the book. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come back to, to the comics. Uh, and I did the game. I mean, the only thing, I mean, the only thing I would I would probably ever come back for is if there was something like in live action, like if there was a like a live action opportunity or something like that. But um, but I don't I don't you know, like I said, it's it's been like a year now. So I don't you know, I guess never say never. But like there was a thing like we were talking about after the short film, after the Draken short film, like we were talking about something, you know, as I, as I was saying before, like there was talk about like maybe a Green Ranger web series one day, like years ago and. So there was also talk like um, of, of doing like a coinless, like a series in the world of the coinless. You know? Ah, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially like in, the, in that world of Draken and, you know, character stories in that kind of future. And um, then we get an Aisha, you know, because, you know, I mean, black <laughs> girls, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it didn't, it, it, it was nothing, like I said, it wasn't, um, it wasn't far enough along where like you could, Probably, I, I don't want to say. Like I said, it, I don't want to say too much. I guess, but because it, it ultimately didn't work out. Like it didn't come uh, to fruition. And, was it supposed to be um, like a like a web series, a feature film, a the, what? Like what kind of special? Well, I was mm -hmm. I was designing it as as um, something in the like kind of in the web space. Yeah, um, oh. but uh, but you know, like anytime, like Hasbro bought the brand and and so everything kind of whenever something like that happens like anything that's planned or, or talked about like you know it's everything's reassessed you know so um that's just kind of the nature of of how these things go so but it would have been cool it was it was something that that i was i was into um so i don't know you never know like if it you know i i don't see a world where that happens but um, any anything in that kind of space, I would definitely, I would definitely uh, dust off my my Power Ranger helmet to, to come back. <laughs> I want to see Jason Narvi get a serious right? thespian on. <laughs> well, that was kind of the cool thing. That was kind of the cool thing about um, the Shattered Grid live panel because by that point, like it, you know, it definitely seemed like, oh yeah, this probably isn't going to happen. Um, so to be able to do the Shattered Grid live panel and see what could have been for me was really special. Like just to see Narvi with some more dramatic material and, and certain actors and things like that. I was like, oh man, like this, that, that's pretty neat. You know, it, uh, like I said, it, it was a, it was a cool, it was a cool little idea. Yes. Yeah. I'm mad, I'm mad that I missed that live panel. I'm also <laughs> mad so about good. this pointless situation. Oh. There's always time for Hasbro to reassess. Although it would be funny to see Skull get killed with the dumb clown music in the background still going. <laughs> 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 
Dead. Gosh. So yeah, let's. I just want to double back a little bit. There are many artists that uh, that you worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned mentioned Jamal Campbell, and some of these names I can't say. I'm I'm just butcher people's names. But one, Daniele. Oh, Daniele um, Di Nicolo. Thank you, Henry Henry Presetia. Thank you, uh, mm-hmm. Matt Herms, Walter Bayamonte. Uh, who else? Oh, Jonas Scharf, uh, Joanna LaFuente, um, Ed Dukeshire lettered all of it. Right. Um, oh, y- y- yeah. yo, like, pour one out, man, for Ed, yo. Like, let me just pour one out <laughs> for him, bro. <laughs> Ed's great. And Ed had to deal with all of my rewriting. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Ed and I have never met, actually. I've met everyone else, but I, I don't think I've, I've, I've never met Ed. Gotta make that happen, Joe. Mm. Let me, let me actually, I take that back. I've never met Hendry. Um, but we used oh, okay. to we used to Facebook chat. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, so in terms of working with artists and how you maneuver, you know, dealing with. I mean, especially listen, like especially when you're doing Shadow Grid and you have like five billion characters and all those other things. Like, mm-hmm. like, did the artists really hate you? <laughs> well, no. I, I, I mean, maybe you'd have to ask Daniele. Um, <laughs> The search for the artist for Shattered Grid was a very involved process because Hendry wasn't able to continue doing the book. And so then it became, who's going to, you know, we made an art change at like issue 14, I want to say, or 15. Or no, maybe it was, no, it was 17, wasn't it? So we had like four issues before, or no, Shattered, because Shattered Grid is what, 25? 25, yeah. Yeah, so Jonas Scharf came in for issues, I think it was either 17 or 18, through 24 with Daniele doing issue 20. Daniele had done Power Rangers Pink. Dan Mora was on GoGo. We're going, who are we going to get to do this event? And we really liked it. So Daniele came in at 20... For the and, 1969 Power Rangers story, yeah. And then 19, before then, was it was Jonas. Hendry. We no. had no. Hendry Ooh. was only on until issue. Um... I'm, 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 read, I'm oh, reading I'm the sorry. things. You're right. You're right. You're I'm right. reading the things. Hendry, Hendry did Uh-oh. come back. So we, so we made the switch. That's what it was. We used Daniele's fill-in at 20 as an opportunity to transition to Jonas. So Jonas then did 21 through 24. That's right. So, so we knew we had that. And then it was like, but who's going to do Shattered Grid? And, you know, it was like trying to f- find the right person and slotting different artists. And, you know, there were other people that we considered. Um, and um, I feel like for a hot second, there was talk about Dan Mora doing it and, and just like switching people around. But ultimately, Daniele did such an amazing job on issue 20. Daphna was like, he, he really, he'd be perfect for this. And, and I was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Like, you know, we only did the one issue together. She's like, I'm telling you, he, he would be, he'll be perfect. And she was right. She was right. And so Daniele came in and we had enough lead time. Because the problem, well, we thought we had enough lead time. 
we ended up burning a lot of lead time with drafting designs, actually, uh, okay. and just mm-hmm. notes and notes on all the designs, all the different permutations. And what was, honestly, I mean, the some of the things. What were some mm-hmm. of the things that they wanted to change? Or I don't alter? know. To be to be honest, I wasn't involved in that process okay. because it was so, it was so complex. Um, there were just so many notes on it. And look, I mean, we understand it. Like this, these are these are the company's babies, right? Like this is their brand. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just. I mean, honestly, like we only I only had draft and change into three different forms because any more would have been a new design, and then that opens it up to more notes and things like that. So it really just was like a, a product of like okay, let's combo things and let's get three across the table, you know, so that we have something that's actionable for the, for right. the, for the series or for the, for the event. Um, but um, I know that there was one design, I will say there was one design that I loved where he had like these interconnected, like floating bracelets. Um, they were so cool and they were going to be like levitating like around his arms, you know? And um, I don't know why, but that, that wasn't something that we were ultimately able to do. Um, I can't remember if it was, like, concern about, well, how do you do a toy from that? Or <laughs> I don't know. I, I may, and, and I, 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 you know, I shouldn't say that because I'm actually not sure if that's what it was. But it seems to, I feel like there was, there was something in there like that of, of like. Um, Simplifying it. Yeah, just like, you know, you're always, you always do have to be aware of, like, I've never worked on a property like Power Rangers before and probably never will in, in the sense that, or never will again, I should say, in the sense that it's, it's very unique. Like that's a brand that is super, for lack of a better term, toyetic, right? Like everything that's created can be turned into a toy if, if it's done right. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's kind of like that's in the lifeblood of the, of the brand. So it's it was really it was really interesting to to see how that kind of that process and all of that worked, you know. And when you are when you were thinking about closing out mm-hmm. Shattered Grid, ending it. Right. Okay. Um I, I I can imagine and I always feel like endings are the hardest. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you know, how do you wrap up something but leave something to Mm -hmm. uh, so that somebody else can continue on or or leave it wide open enough so that there's possibilities and you're not just like, oh, kill them all. So so the ending of Shattered Mm -hmm. Grid, what Mm -hmm. made you end it that way? Um, Well. We knew from early on that the toys kind of had to go back in the toy box at the end, which was always a little bit of a, I don't want to say a point of contention, but it was something that was problematic for me. Um, Because we we first pitched this to Saban a year before we did it. Like I I had broken out an outline that, you know, it was way, way, way less detailed than the one that ultimately we did the series from, the event from. But it had a lot of the big, it had the big moves, it had the big asks, it had the, it had Draken killing Tommy, it had Jen showing up, uh, but too late. It had, 
his quest for um, Morphers. Uh, it had the fact that he was the only Tommy in a multiverse. It had, you know, it had all of those big things. Um, and in the end, it was like, but how is it ending? You know, because things need to go back to kind of the way they were. You can't, you have, like, it's really delicate. You can't just like nuke everything, you know? Mm. And it was interesting because to me, like, you know, I'd set the book in modern day. Like I, I didn't want to just do like, you know, fill in episodes of the show, you know, like that was never the intention. I wanted to do something new, but at the same time, you have to be respectful of, of big narrative moves in the continuity, you know? So that's why like in interviews, I always kind of describe it as like the book's kind of a remix. Like if you squint, it all kind of fits, you know, with show continuity as well. Um, but it is kind of a little bit of a best of. It's kind of its own thing, you know, but it's not completely holding up middle fingers to the, to the show, you know, canon or anything like that. So it's a real delicate kind of tightrope walk. And, and a part of that tightrope walk was like ending it in a way where, again, like it has to feel like it matters. You can't just like, you can't say, and this was all a dream, you know, um, but you also need to kind of set back a little bit, reset a bit of the status quo. And so for me, it became, okay, it, let's turn this bug into a feature. Like narratively, them choosing to forget is part of what, like it's for the good of existence. And that means that there's a sacrifice there, particularly with regards to Tommy and Kim and their potential you know, relationship and, and they're kind of choosing to sacrifice it for the good of kind of everything. And so it felt emotionally cathartic, um, in a way that also left the door open for other things. Like to me, the, the big line that I, I, I didn't, I wouldn't say fought for, but the, the, the description that I, I pushed a lot, um, it was actually a line that, that Matt, uh, it was a metaphor that Matt uh, Groom uh, and I came up with, which is like, you can, if you, if you break a pane of glass, right, like it still holds its form, but if you apply more pressure, the cracks spread further and further and eventually, you know, it all shatters, right? And time and existence is like on a pane of glass. If you're going to put those pieces back together, you can get the big pieces to fit, Right. But there will always be little bits that fall through that won't fit back perfectly. And right. so that became the thing. I was like, this has to be at the end because this sets up, you know, ultimately for, bad, for, for what Marguerite wants to do for Beyond the Grid, but then also for what Ryan will end up doing after Beyond the Grid. And, you know, there were ideas and things like that that he, would, he and I would talk about and kind of build out as like, when you come back to the regular time, like, here you go, you know, this is, here's a version, this is what it could kind of look like, you know, and again, turning the, the bug of having to reset the universe into the feature of like, okay, but what does that actually mean, you know? Hmm. Well, I, I'm not gonna lie. Okay, I love you, right? You, you, you're a great guy and all, but I was, I was mad. I was oh, you were mad? mad. I was mad. I was just like, "Oh, we going Men in Black?" And okay, all right, all right, all right. Let's see this. 
see what we're doing. Okay. And, and, and I get it. I get, like you, I get it. Right. Because especially in terms of, and I guess you see this in other mediums as well for Power Rangers is that you can't br- completely break everything. Right. Um, it has to be some way you kind of put it back together in, in a sense. But like, yo, man, I'm just like, yo, these are the comics. Break everything. Like, just. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. That that's where my kind of natural um, tendencies kind of lean. You know. But again, these aren't my characters. These aren't right. our characters. These are, and so so that's that's part of the job is figuring out how do I. How do I do creative things within established parameters, you know, and still have it be not only creatively satisfying, but narratively and emotionally satisfying and a thing that everyone involved can get behind, you know, and it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a delicate, it's a delicate act. Um, what's really, really cool. Uh, and I said this at the panel at Morphicon, what's really, really cool about this experience for me, and, and I don't think it'll ever happen again, um, for me anyway. The blessing and the curse of licensed books, and in this context, I'm just going to use the term license not to apply to Marvel and DC, but to everything else. Anything that ID, a lot of the things IDW does, right? Transformers comics are licensed comics. My Little Pony licensed comics. A lot of things that Boom does that aren't you know right. creator-owned right. are all licensed books. The thing is, like, what, you, what the plus of it is, is you get to play as a creator in the sandbox of characters and a property that you probably have an affinity for, right? And so there's some really awesome like wish fulfillment there, like getting to go write a, a story in the universe of Escape from New York, John Carpenter's Escape from New York with, with Snake Plissken, right? That's awesome, right? That's, oh, that's so cool. And a lot of times you get to kind of do whatever you want because the people who made the movie don't really care, right? Like it's not the movie. It's just a licensed comic. That's also the downside, which is that who is going to read this? Who's actually going to see it in the grand scheme of things? Sure, you're working on this property and these characters, but it's, it's the second generation of it's it's derivative material, right? It's not a new Snake Plissken movie. It's a comic set in that world, right? What was so unique about Power Rangers is that it's a licensed comic, but it's a licensed comic that the rights holders were incredibly supportive of. And it became... Um, it became forward facing for the brand in some ways, you know, like at Morphicon, like to walk around and to see the amount of Draken stuff and Ranger Slayer and Shattered Grid stuff. And even, even the board game, right. They're doing Shattered Grid expansions, like characters in the game, in the, in the, in the video, in the legacy wars, and then now in battle for the grid, like that's incredibly rare to, mm-hmm. to actually work on content that is derivative of the main property and to have that derivative content and i don't use the term derivative in a in a in a slanderous or in a negative way it's just it's not the show right Right. and it's not a movie Mm -hmm. it's it's a published medium it's a print medium and to have the people who own power rangers be as as supportive and as involved 
and as proud of the content as they were and are is really, really cool. Like I said, incredibly unique. Um, It also means they're going to be more involved. They're going to be more kind of hands-on with it, right? Because it is an important um, piece of, of content for them. So it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, and Daphne would remind that, remind me of that, uh, quite a bit, which was that they love what we're doing, you know? So like all of the, for as hard as, as it is, um, to get a book like this made and out the door, um, everyone was so on board with what we want to do and what we were trying to do, um, that it all made it worth it. You're right, because even for for fans of the show, I think a lot in recent years we've been talking about the fact that it even doesn't feel like the show is really caring too much about canon and continuity and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. they've they've even had their own anniversary celebrations where it feels like, you know, any character could be saying any line of dialogue at any point in time. Right. And then you get the comic and... Granted, the MMPR Rangers were somewhat blank slates back in the day. I mean, they were mm-hmm. just archetypes. Right. But, you know, like now they genuinely have individual voices and the type of voices that we as kids would give them. And we'd be like, well, there's got to be more to that relationship. You know, <laughs> even as kids, even as kids, like you were saying, like we were thinking like, oh, so Tommy's just part of a team now. OK, that's cool. You right. Know? Yeah. So it's interesting now that stuff like the comic book and like the hyperforce RPG and stuff like that, where they're actually taking the time to add characters and make them stick around. You know, this isn't like a, like a Marvel civil war, secret wars, any of that sort of stuff where it's like, okay, you know, maybe we can kill somebody off, but they've got to be back within a year, you know, stuff like that. This stuff is actually sticking and it's moving out to other forms of the medium. And I think that's why people are, enjoying it so much you know because it actually feels like the universe is finally growing in some way and that's that you know yeah yeah and we're and and also there's stuff that exists outside of mmpr for god's sake people are actually remembering that now (laughs) oh man but i feel like in terms of in terms of i mean you people jeremy brought up the anniversary i mean like there are certain things that that the comic seems as if influenced the show. Um, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was a particular anniversary special. Uh-huh. Oh no! Actually, I, I can t- I can one hundred percent tell you that that is a that is, is an absolute coincidence. I'm serious. Like that, and th- again, this speaks to my point from earlier, which is that um, to make an event. There's only so like there's a certain set of ingredients that you pull from, right? So every kind of event does have similar DNA in it because that's what gives it its scope, right? And th- those ingredients, the permutations of the recipe, are specific to um, the ingredients of the brand that you're working with, right? So for Power Rangers. Uh, it's it's it was it was weirdly it was it was totally just parallel development like i pitched shattered grid and then kind of caught wind of that there was an event or there was a an anniversary 
um, episode and kind of what the setup for it was like down the line, I'd heard it, but it was, but they had started it months before I pitched shattered grid, the concept and you, and you pitched this shattered grid, uh, concept around when Eh, times these, um, I pitched it in February of 2017, 28, wait, when did it come out? It came out in March of what, 2018? Yes. So I pitched it in February of 2017. Okay. And, so I pitched and, it a year before it came out. Okay. And so this anniversary special mm-hmm. happened. They would have written they would have written that probably what? January of 2018, November, December of 2017. Interesting. I think so. <laughs> the only thing that was like, well, no, I mean, I've talked to like we we've talked about it. Like, it's just it's just it's just because when it when we Ryan, there was a meeting where Ryan and I were talking and we went in in person for more and to go over more detail related to the event and how GoGo Ted and all this stuff. And they started showing us like clips from the episode. And Ryan and I looked at each other and we're like, uh-oh. Because we thought all our stuff was going to get blown up, you know? <laughs> and then it was like, no, like this is, it's, it's, it's additive. Like it's all, it's just in the ether, you know? And, and the comic is, what we did in the comic is quite a bit different than what the episode did, you know? So oh, the I only get thing, it. I get it. However. The only thing that was funny to me was that. And this was, again, this one was truly a coincidence that, you know, I, yeah, the idea that my, the villain was named Lord Draken and then that villain was Lord Draven, like, that's pretty, that's pretty entertaining to me. <laughs> okay, then! Yeah. Okay, then! Who, uh, whose idea was it to throw in that little uh, interdimensional transporter thing in the comics so that it would be in the show? That yeah. was, uh, that came from Melissa. I think okay. Melissa Flores. That was a that was an ask from them, um, because they were going to use it in the show. And I was like, sure, like yeah, get send us reference, we'll try. So there was some cool synergy there, you know, so that it all felt you know um, connected. Yeah. So um, anybody can do whatever universe they up, want. And that came up. That also came up again when I was doing um, Soul of the Dragon. So Soul of the Dragon. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then even before then. There was this short that you did for yes. Shattered Grid, mm-hmm. um, and the genesis of that, like what, like what made boom, and what made them want to say, all right, yeah, let's use this as a promo for, like, what? How was the genesis? That how did that come about? Well, that one came from me and JDF. Um, so that was a. That short was something JDF and I had become friends and we would kind of text, you know, uh, all the time. And, and he was doing conventions and the Draken character had been in the comics, but Shattered Grid hadn't started yet. Right. So he was starting to hear from people and and see um, people with, you know, starting to make cosplay suits and things like that. And we knew uh, Anarchy was starting on his own uh, or their own uh, version. 
And he kept saying, like, let's shoot something. We should shoot something with, with Draken and let's shoot something with Draken. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't just do that. <laughs> like, that's like, I'm officially writing the book. Like, I can't go make, like, you know, a fan film of Lord Draken or anything like that. And then it just kind of occurred to me, like, in building up to the event and it being the 25th anniversary, I was like, oh, I know what to do. Like, if we were going to do something, like, here's how you do it. It celebrates... It seemingly celebrates Power Rangers in its opening with using lines and footage and from other eras and then the twist and then it's actually it's someone observing it and then the twist on top of that it's actually JDF as Lord Dragon. It's like, oh, this could be so awesome. And so then it became a process of getting um Savan and Boom like, you know, on board with it. And so we did it. I wrote it and um you know, my, my DP shot it. We did it in a day. I directed it. Um, we, we built the whole sound state or the whole set. I brought in a new production designer and, um, he built everything himself. We shot it all. Um, we edited it, it in a couple days and then turned it over to VFX. Um, and then we colored it. I had my sound supervisor, you know, do all the sound on it. Um, the, the interesting thing about it was that um, Saban got us the footage that we needed in the kind of highest resolution that they had. Um, but there was there were audio problems with it because the stuff that was archived wasn't traditional stems. So what that means in the sound kind of world is that typically you 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 archive things with. Um, breakouts for dialogue music and effects so they're iso tracks so your dialogue you have you have tracks that are just the dialogue ISO so nothing's like nothing else. finally like mixed together layered upon and come well you know, no they it's... are they they are but they're it's the term is called um i'm blanking on it but what it means is that if you're if you were to lay all those tracks in a timeline and hit play the summation of them all it's this it's the sum it's the mixed sum total right. okay but if you solo any of them, you're just hearing those isolated. Right. So, but the important thing is that um, th that's that's what it is. It's the sums. They have to total the the, the proper volume level of the final mix. Okay. So it's a very technical, like specific um, uh, way of doing the isolation tracks, and it's very common. Um, I mean, it's what every every show does. And it's what Power Rangers does, but what they had or were able to get me for most of the episodes um, were four track audio, but the four tracks were like dialogue was on, it was tracks one and two channels, one and two were um, the final mix of the episode. Channel three was a mono summation of effects and channel four was a mono summation of the music so we had no mono summation of just the dialogue, dialogue. and iso of the dialogue oh. and so i was going oh no how are we going to strip out this music so my my um sound supervisor uh matt uh taylor is his name he's a big sound supervisor at warner brothers and he's also a dialogue editor um when he's not on shows that he's not you know, supervising. And so he did a lot of really precise dialogue editing and noise gating 
and equalization uh, and also noise reduction to strip out as much of that music as he could. And Ron Wasserman's score also hides a lot of things in the mix. Mm-hmm. Some of the episodes uh, did have mono audio, like the the um, the lo- the um, the in space moment where he's like, "We are the Power Rangers, Power Rangers, Letty, let's re- let's rock it." That accidentally had a mono <laughs> isolation of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, because it was um, however it got archi- archived in that um, effects uh, summation that that effects ISO. Um, the dialogue was in it, which was accidental. But I was like, great, I can use that. So we didn't have to do anything on that. On other ones, um, and in later seasons, all of the, the stems are there properly. So okay, we I were see. able to use those. But for really particular lines, like um, where there's not going to be a lot of music, right? So when Tommy hears... The important thing to me now is my friendship with all of you. Um, I don't ever want that to change. That's JDF re-recording that line right now in 2017. Uh-huh. He and I did it at Lexington uh, Comic Con in uh, the the like in the Kentucky basketball uh, stadium <laughs> in the locker room with like makeshift with like sweatshirts and pillows in a in a in a locker stall. Yes! as I was miking him for it. And then the Kimberly line, it's not Tommy. You'll always be one of us. That's a re-recording of Amy Jo Johnson. Really? Modern day. She's recording it into her iPhone on a recording app. Um, so we got kind of the best fidelity we could get out of the iPhone basically. And I knew we were going to filter it and process it and verb it out for the space. And because it's helmet head it was like, I think, I think this will sell. And we pitched them up both a little bit. And I was like waiting for someone and no one ever called me on and no one ever noticed that, Hey, this isn't the original audio, but, um, yeah. So, so we, we made, yeah. Anyway. So we did all the post on it and from the day we shot it to the day that it went live was exactly one month. And then, yeah. And, and so you were asking then how that led to soul, the dragon. Yeah. Because I know that there is, I mean, they, they seem to be, a kind of like a ramping up and mm-hmm. a, like a, a little bit of a focus on uh, on the Tommy character. So, well, there had been talk for, for several years about um, like JDF wanted to do an older green Ranger, like web series or digital series. And I know he, he had talked about doing one with, with Aaron, um, the Aaron the Shanky. Who, yeah. Who's, who's bat in the sun. Um, and then, when I was doing the comic, and I, I you know, I know, I, I know JDF. I'd met JDF before, and then I re-met him through Aaron. Actually, like very early on, when I was, when I think the first, only the first issue of the comic had come out. Um, and then JDF and I just stayed in touch and became, you know, good friends. Um, but uh, there was, at a certain point, Boom reached out to me and was like, "Hey, Saban wants to do." an old Green Ranger comic book. Um, and I think the idea was like, and then, you know, maybe maybe one day that could be adapted as a web series, possibly down the line, you never know, right? But, um, but they wanted to do it as a comic book. And then we said like, well, what if we do it as an OGN? Um, 
And so I decided if I was going to do it, like it had to be a wholly new thing. It couldn't be whatever, whatever their web series was going to be. Um, I wanted to, you know, just write a wholly new original story. And um, so that's what I did and built out what became Soul of the Dragon. And then um, I don't know who named it. I don't, I don't actually, because they had to solicit it really, really early. And the next thing I knew, that's, that was the name. I was like, oh, is this, is this final? And they're like, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah. And then uh, Giuseppe illustrated the whole thing and, and, uh, and it came out. Yeah. And, and I, as I was working on it, that's where I knew, like, they told me, like, the Savan people were like, hey, there's this thing coming up in the Dimensions in Danger episode that called the Master Morpher. Is it the Master Morpher or the Mega Morpher? I always Master forget. Master Morpher. Called the Master Morpher. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, if I use it, I want to break it because that's what I do. <laughs> and I want it to be stuck in reverse order. And every time he morphs, it burns up that power coin. So each time he morphs is, is his last morph. And I want it to be stuck in a reverse order so that he's starting with with um, Dino Thunder and ends up with the Green Ranger. Um, I just felt like it was a nice kind of symbolic journey for him as his kind of last ride as a Power Ranger. And I also knew um, that I know JDF told me that he and uh, Catherine Sutherland held hands at the end of dimensions of danger dimensions of danger and so i went well okay so jj who who i also knew was alluded to in dimensions of danger i was like okay that's his son he and cat are still together that's you know that's the jumping off point for us yeah because they're they're lovingly married okay and cat and kimberly's not in the picture yeah that's right. Right. kimberly that's right. kimberly did break right. his heart hmm Good. Right. Get her out Kimberly of there. Kimberly was literally in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so I guess with Soul of the Dragon, uh, was there anything that, and I guess in general, I mean, like it seems, it seems as if that Tommy is the character that I, I call him the God King, um, mm -hmm. and it seems as if like you can't do too much with him in or you know you have to kind of stay in the parameters of like well i mean yeah he could be evil because he used to be evil but like you can't go too much or you can't do too much of the you know with him because he still has to be the god king so is any part of soul of the dragon or any part of the the span of the series where you felt a little like oh okay i'm i'm a little i'm holding back a little bit with with that character in particular um with tommy yeah. No, not really. I mean, I actually found that he was actually, um, I felt like he was uh, not as well defined as you might think based on how long he was on the show. Like, he doesn't really, like, he's done a lot of things, but. But you don't know much about him. Yeah. And so that kind of became the, the jumping on point for me where I was like, oh, well, what if that's actually the story? Like, this guy is a teacher and he loses his job and based on where he is in his life and how old his son is and his son starting to do have the life of his own, like him losing his job kind of happens in like very much like kind of the, the kind of the worst time possible. 
and also coincide. It coincides with essentially like a midlife crisis, or it sparks a little bit of a midlife crisis. On top of which, coincidentally, his son goes missing. So what does he do? He, in order to save his son, he is trying to recapture his youth and go back to a life that felt stable and defined, right? But okay. in going back to that life, he comes to realize, like, oh, no, I need to say goodbye to this, too. Like, this isn't just because my current life and path didn't work out. That's not an option. That old one's not an option. I need to say goodbye to that. So finally, before, mm-hmm. we, before we wrap up here, I do want to get into some things that you are currently doing today, mm-hmm. what you're working on today. I know that earlier in the year, there was an announcement about you doing a feature film, yada, yada, yada. I know there's mm-hmm. some other things that you've been working on since then. So please spill all the tea. Um, yeah, what can I, I guess, what can I talk about? Um, so yeah, it was announced I'm writing and directing the feature version of Hadrian's Wall, which is my, uh, my book, uh, my murder mystery on a spaceship book that I, I did at Image Comics. Um, I have a few other things that aren't announced yet uh, tied to some of my other creator-owned books um, and what may or may not be happening with them in a live-action uh, slash maybe animation uh, medium. My movie, The Shadow Hours, which is uh, I, I wrote a feature for as well. The Shadow Hours was a short that um, is really a proof of concept for a feature that I want to make. There's some real nice, uh, you know, traction and headway that has happened there, but nothing that, you know, I'm able to talk about just yet. Um, uh, In comics, I'm writing the, I'm writing a big dark multiverse uh, one shot with Scott Snyder uh, for Nightfall. The, it's kind of a reimagining of the Batman Nightfall story. Big prestige, 48-page one-shot. That'll be out in October. Got a couple more creator-owned books that aren't announced yet. One of which, well, maybe actually two in some ways, but definitely one may have some similar DNA uh, to certain um, tokusatsu, sentai, Power Ranger type uh, <laughs> uh, stories. I, well, I shouldn't say stories, but I should say like there's there's some there's some infer, there's some influence there um, in in this kind of in one of these new things that I'm I'm working on um, that has me pretty excited. So hmm. and then yeah, I mean I'm just um, Matt Groom's book Self Made just came out in trade paperback from Image, and I was the editor on. Uh, I wrote the Battle for the Grid video game, and I think the second half of that is the second half out yet. Second half of the story mode. I don't, uh, I don't think Are so. Are you guys there? No. Uh, no. I don't think so. I think the first, because this, yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, the second half will be coming out at some point. The second half, I, I'm, I'm, I really dig. There's some stuff that, um, there's some performances in it that are really um really really cool what megan camarina does uh for kimberly is is pretty uh pretty special so uh yeah and then uh, yeah just some other stuff that i can't actually talk about yet so managing to stay busy 
Well, that's good. I mean, especially, you know, staying busy doing what you love and staying busy as a writer, you know, and uh, as a filmmaker. That's 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 pre- that's pretty dope. I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who would. Yes, yes, it is hard work. And yes, you, there's a lot of things that we don't see behind the scenes. But however, uh, you know, to be some to do something that you actually love to do as your profession. I mean, that's something that all of us aspire to so yeah for sure i mean it's hard like as you say and it's it's i don't know writing's not something i ever wanted to do um it's again it's something that i just i guess i kind of have always done and then I, i resented it for a long time i resented the comics career because i felt like it was happening instead of the film career um, and I was doing it instead of the film career in, in some ways, because I was afraid. Um, I was afraid of failing in the film career because I had gotten a lot of attention at a young age and it didn't, you know, n- no big projects materialized out of it. And instead what I've kind of come to realize is that it, it really is a blessing that I got to go spend, you know, basically seven years honing this skill set as a storyteller that, I had only ever done just so I'd have material to direct, to shoot. And now all of a sudden, you know, you blink and you've written a couple hundred comic books and you're going to get better as a writer. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care who you are. Like, if you write that much of anything, you're going to learn something and get better. And so now my comics career has kind of jump-started or re-jump-started, re-sparked my directing career. So, I mean, and, and to think like, how, like, again, t- talking about how fantastic an opportunity doing a book like Power Rangers was, like, who gets to direct a live action promo for, <laughs> for a comic for book? That you is like, like, what officially sanctioned. Hello. Yeah. Hello. So it was just, um, you know, it was really, really special. And, and Marvel and DC would never elicit or trust a comic book creator in any live action form. Right. And the fact that I got to do the short film, the Power Rangers, the promo film, um, and then some of these other things we were talking about as well, like the fact that they believed in me that much was really cool. Like I said, it's a very, very unique situation. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Kyle, for coming on our little show. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, of course, of course. And where can people follow you to find out more news and updates and all other sorts of things? Uh, I'm on social media, uh, just Kyle D. Higgins, but I don't really, I don't really post that much. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I guess you, you pay attention to your local comic book store and, you know, when, when things get announced, uh, I'll definitely, I definitely post about those. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. Yes. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. And, and, uh, you know, thanks for your, all your guys' support. Um, throughout everything. It's a little weird to be on the other side of it now and to not be involved anymore, you know, but, um, but uh, it's still just even just talking about it again. is like, it's fun because it brings back a lot of memories. 